is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Catholic Review. Today we're talking about the 2021 Oscars, which will be awarded April 25th out of Los Angeles and probably other virtual locations. Our guest co-host today is Ann Augerton of the Arlington Catholic Herald, and some full disclosure, Ann is my wife. Our guests are two esteemed movie reviewers for Catholic Publications, Daughter of St. Paul, Sister Rose Picotti, and John Mulderig from Catholic News Service. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Well, movie theaters have been pretty much shut down due to the pandemic since last March, March of 2020. How has that affected the way that you see movies and review them? Let's start with you, sister. Well, first of all, everything's online. Everything is by screener. And different studios have different ways to access their screeners because they want them so protected so nobody will steal or share them. And Mm -hmm. so that can be complicated and it can be a little frustrating. The uh, distraction element is really there because, and you don't have that sense of being in the dark and watching on mm-hmm. a screen. So it's a real, it's a different experience, but you have to pay attention even more, I think, because you don't have the focus. So um, it's been a challenge, but on the other hand, I'm getting access to everything. <laughs> so it's, it depends on my time. The only film of this year's Oscars that I saw in a theater was Judas and the Black Messiah. And that was two Sundays ago. Oh, so you're, you're back in the theater. Well, I went once. I, okay. I'm not running. I'm still getting screeners. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm vaccinated, but I don't okay. want to uh, push it, if you know what I mean. Yes. And John? Well, I've had a similar experience. And, and I um, do note the absence of the, you know, kind of group feel. Uh, even if you're just in a room with other critics, there, there is a communal aspect to watching a movie, which is now lacking. And we've also sort of had to adjust our focus in the sense that it used to be quite easy at the beginning of the week to find out what the wide releases were. And those were sort of our core content. Now we've shifted to doing quite a bit more television out of the office, um, just because I think there aren't the big blockbuster movies because there aren't the theaters that are available to do that. So I think a lot of people are focusing more on television and uh, so we've tried to expand to do that as well. Did the pandemic affect the quality of movies that got released last year? John, what do you think? I don't think so. I think that um, the process of making films is, is a long one. And so um, I think the effect would be seen more in the, in the coming months than in the first uh, phase of the crisis. Uh, would you agree, sister? I actually do agree with that because what you said about the process of making a film, it can take two to three to four years to come out. It depends. There was a um, a late night comedian this past week or two who really said that this year's Best Picture nominees are sad and gloomy and dark and we should have happy movies in the time of COVID. And they said, dude, don't you know how long it takes to make a movie? (laughs) That's what I'm thinking in my head. So... I, anyway, um, I like most of the movies that are nominated this year, and 
the documentaries, oh my goodness. If we're looking for meaning in films and humanity, I think um, we found quite a bit of it. The other, the other upbeat thing is that in movie world, nobody has to wear a mask, at least not yet, so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We're gonna talk about the Best Picture nominees in a little bit, but were there any other movies that weren't nominated for Best Picture that you would like to have seen nominated? Let's start with you, John. Well, um, some that I enjoyed, um, I'm, I'm not gonna speak for the Academy, um, but some that I enjoyed that didn't end up on the list. One would be Emma, uh, which I thought really captured the flavor of Jane Austen. So I, I appreciated that one. Um, Words on Bathroom Wall, I thought tackled a difficult issue in a very intelligent way and in a way that uh, as uh, people committed to human dignity, we would want to make sure that, you know, this kind of a film uh, is in line with the, with the message of human dignity. And then uh, News of the World, I also thought was quite good. I, offhand, I don't have any um, that I thought were that extra outstanding that might have deserved um, an Oscar nomination. All the movies that you mentioned, I, I did like. I thought News of the World was for Tom Hanks was a much better choice than Greyhound, but that that's just, did you like it, Chris? Yeah, Greyhound no, just didn't yeah. help. Just it didn't, didn't help, it. and one of the sisters told me, you just don't like war movies. And I went, this all happened in one little room on a ship. I said, come on, you know, some books do not need to be made into movies. You talk about some of the redeeming qualities. Are there any really redeeming movies this year? Minari, I thought, was wonderful because it brings in an Asian, a Korean American family. And I thought that was great. Um, Sound of Metal to me was probably one of the finest movies paralleling the spiritual life that I have ever seen. I was, talk about redeeming, um, Nomadland. Okay, some of these others, <laughs> not so much, but my guess my favorites are, are in the documentary category. And that would be My Octopus Teacher. Wow, that was great. But I especially liked Crip Camp on Netflix. That to me was, it really changed people's lives. And I, and it changed the whole countries, um, especially for people with, um, with handicaps and disabilities. I mean, their movement, the work that they did, or the children who came from that experience. So um, I, I found those very redeeming. I would agree with those. Um, I don't really, other than, as I've mentioned, the words on bathroom walls, that would be an example, but uh, I, I can't add too much to uh, Sister's List. Most of us have been uh, binge watching Amazon Prime and Netflix this past year. For us, it's been uh, British crime dramas. It's changing our vocabulary. I'm not sure what we're saying sometimes, whether it's uh, cheeky, shall we say, if we're being uh, cheeky or not. But um, We've also watched, I think, all but two of the nominees. So let's break open the nominees. Let's go through them one at a time. And if you both would give us your take on them. So let's start with the father and let's start with Sister Rose. I liked the construction of the, of the film. I, I liked the, the narrative style, shall we say, how it was told, the back and forth. From his perspective, his, his um, descent or his journey into Alzheimer's, it was, it really showed how uh, the, I, you felt it, you felt it. It is not my favorite movie of the year, but it certainly in terms of quality of acting, you can't beat Anthony Hopkins. It, 
doesn't win in all my uh, preferred uh, categories of best picture, shall we say. Okay. It was difficult to watch at times and uh, a bit emotional. And I, and I wondered, I don't know, John, your take on this. Did you find it was on purpose they were being confusing with the, the timeline and kind of starting the same scene over a uh, second time and mixing up the, the characters? Or was it, <laughs> was it just me? <laughs> well, my, my opinion is a little bit remote because this was reviewed by one of my colleagues, ah. but I did edit the review. So I would say that that was... Um, the intention there, I believe, was to bring the viewer into the experience of the dementia of the character, somewhat similar to the interesting audio work in Sound of Metal, um, so that, you know, just as he was experiencing deafness, this character was ex experiencing dementia, and it was an attempt, I think, to incorporate the viewer into that. How about Judas and the Black Messiah? That's one of the only ones we didn't see. Uh, John, what was your take on that? I thought it was quite engaging. It was, uh, it certainly got your attention. And it's, of course, based on a true story. I'm not sure J. Edgar Hoover was quite as evil as he was portrayed in this movie, but... Poor Martin Sheen! <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought it was a very well-made film and um, told a very interesting story. Yeah, Sister Rose, you did a book about Martin Sheen. So what's your take on this? <laughs> well... I have to say that the uh, they really made him look not very likable. You know, he they did the the makeup and whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, Martin, what did you do here? But I liked the film. I went with my sister, and she just didn't like it until the end. She just thought it went on and on too much. But I thought the acting was exceptional. The story, of course, is part of our history. That it's told in this way is is a very positive. I think it's deserving, but it doesn't get my best picture vote. And, and how about Mank, sister? This uh, historical drama of um, Orson Welles and the screenwriter, Herman Mankiewicz. What, what did you think of Mank? Oh, that was a yawn, everybody. <laughs> okay. Us too. It kind of got interesting towards the end, but you know, I'm thinking of his grandson's um, Joe from Mankiewicz from Turner Classic Movies and his brother who works for NBC Dateline and how they're talking about him. And, but then the movie, I'm going, really? Do we have to do this story? Is there something important in the history of cinema that we need to watch this? No. No, 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 no. Okay, it's interesting, but it's such a, it's, and it's how it was, you know, it's a guy's story, it's a guy's world. Mm -hmm. The one a comment that came out, uh, you know, they were talking about messages in movies and, oh, was, who was that? Who said, um, if you want to send a message, you know, get Western Union. And, you know, and I, that still works for me today. You make movies to tell stories, not to send messages. <laughs> so, um, anyway. I could go on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we we kind of got the gist there. All right. And how about for you, John? <laughs> well, here again, it was a colleague who reviewed it, but uh, I get the impression that the more you like movies, the less you like Mank. <laughs> My colleague who reviewed it uh, thought it took a, a quite a jaundiced view of classic Hollywood and um, also was sort of... Um, 
revisionist history in the sense of trying to diminish Orson Welles's uh, incredible accomplishment in making Citizen Kane. Interesting. What about Minari? John, that, I actually enjoyed that a lot, although it was sad in parts. John, how about you? Well, um, again, I, I have to apologize that I um, have, have not seen the movie myself, but we gave it a very warm review. And um, I think um, both in terms of, of a um, family portrayal, um, it's, it's something that we would want to um, endorse um, in, the, in the underlying message. Um, I also suspect that it may have an edge in the category in the sense that um, it's a high quality film that also reflects um, a degree of diversity in its perspective. That is something that I think is gonna be important to voters this year. I loved it. I, was, I found it, you know, you, you go through the struggle of the family, of course, and even between the husband and the wife and what they're doing and how they're going to make it. And um, but there was a charm to it, especially when they bring in the grandmother. And I love the relationship with the kids. I love the children. And of course, that prophet that shows up, you know, to to guide them in this weird experience yeah. that they're having. Um, I, I thought it was wonderful and I would not mind at all if this took home the best picture because it's deserving and it's a film I would watch again. So often best picture wins, I'm never gonna watch them again, but this one is one that I would and we have film retreats. And so this is something that I would love to use with a Cinema Divina you know, film retreat that we have. Okay. All right. Next on our list is Nomadland. And, and with the pandemic and uh, the sense of having to be extra careful where you go, I think Chris and I have uh, fantasized about buying an RV and setting out across the country. But um, after watching this, um, <laughs> it, it was a sobering look at making that your, your life. Uh, very lonely kind of a feel to the movie, but it was beautiful, I thought, in many ways. Um, well, I love what do you think, sister of, of Nomadland. Almost anything, and I think she epitomizes that the the aging person who has very little income, very few options. She runs into people who can actually choose to live this nomad life, but she's actually following, you know, work. She's um, and she's having to deal with with that loneliness, and, and I felt that the film was able to put me in her experience. And I love Chloe Chow. She did a, a movie last year called The Rider about, um, uh, it, was, it was a Catholic family. And if you have a chance to go back and watch that, it got nominated, the script got nominated for a Humanitas Prize, which is for screenwriting. And, but I love her perspective oh. on how she sees life in the United States. and because she wasn't born here. So, but she's able to give it life mm -hmm. and flesh. And I thought, I found the movie sad. I did and lonely. And I, it made me have great empathy for people who are aging and who are alone. All right, okay. And, and what do you think, John? Well, I, I think um, the, the word that I would focus on is tone. Uh, the tone that was achieved by this movie was quite remarkable, I thought. 
And of course, her performance, uh, Frances McMullen, uh, just, you know, very powerful um, and um, courageous in the sense of not giving, uh, not sugarcoating things. Um, and I thought also the uh, use of uh, real life people who have had the experience of this sort of subculture um, also made the movie uh, that much more interesting. More authentic, I think, in some ways. I, I read on IMDb that there were some people, she was so convincing that some people did not know that she, that Frances McDormand was an actress. I mean, they thought mm. she was just part of their community. So that's interesting. Which is Next, really saying something. <laughs> yeah. Next up is Promising Young Woman, uh, one of the, another one that we have not seen. I just saw something this week that they are promoting uh, seeing this on college campuses to, uh, to focus on the topic of sexual violence and, and molestation on uh, college campuses. Uh, John, what's your take on that? Well, I got the same uh, press release you did on that topic. And I said to some friends that um, given that the movie's solution to the very, you know, the problem of sexual harassment is very real, obviously, but the proposed solution in the movie is serial killing. So I said to someone, well, that sort of is along the lines of having Norman Bates fix your shower. Uh, you know, it's not exactly what we're aiming for, but uh, at least from a Catholic perspective. Um, maybe I was taking the film too literally, but uh, it just, um, uh, it's an interesting film, um, but I wouldn't want anybody to translate it into real life. Well, I belong to a group online call, on Facebook called Binge Addicts. You know, people, it's what's interesting is to, you, know, you can post the good things that you see and people post what they like, they ask for recommendations. And so Promising Young Woman was commented on and I said, you know, this is a movie about revenge. And at the, at, even at the end of the day, no matter how much you want to get into the psychology of uh, this young woman who carried the, uh, the Carrie um, Mulligan character, how much you want to get into her head, her, the, the guilt she feels, the, the loss she feels, the grief that she feels, it's still about revenge. And how satisfying is that? And I don't want to give away the end, but... Um, I talked to a friend who works with the Me Too movement, and I said, so what's the buzz about this with the Me Too movement? She said it's split right down the half, right down the middle. Half, half people, okay. Oh, interesting. Um, they think it's what, you know, college campuses, et cetera, et cetera, about the whole sexual violence thing. The other half is the unsatisfactory way to deal with it. And so there, I, so I would say that what I would agree with John very much on that perspective. I'll point out that um, because of the revenge um, theme, uh, this is the only nominee that got a, um, an O for morally offensive from our office, mm. uh, precisely on that basis. Okay, well, next on our list is Sound of Metal. Um, and let's start with you, John. It's um, about a heavy metal drummer and a recovering drug addict who all of a sudden has hearing loss. Uh, how did you like that movie? What did you think of its uh, um, chances for best picture? I enjoyed it very much. I thought, um, particularly, as I mentioned, the use of the audio track to kind of bring you into the experience of, of his hearing loss was creative. Um, I think his performance was very powerful. Um, and so um, I think, you know, um, it's not um, a cuddly film, 
Um, but uh, I thought it, you know, it was um, very well made and, and I would not be unhappy to see it win. Um, and uh, again, from um, a Catholic perspective, um, to uh, tell the story of someone who moves toward a new sense of meaning in response to physical disability or something along those lines. Um, I think that's, you know, congenial with a Catholic um, viewpoint. Okay. And, and sister, you know, it had a, a faith element with the church sponsored residential community that he uh, um, moved into. I love How did movie. you like the movie and, I, and what are your thoughts this, on that? This is one of my top contenders. Okay. And, and I think because I was okay. just so surprised by it that it really, like some of what John was saying is that it parallels the spiritual life and the growth. I mean, somebody, somebody else could say it parallels boot camp, but it parallel, it does. It's the letting go. It's the change. It's the introspection. It's choosing others over self and to get to that. And, and, you know, there's a discipline that is required of, of this young man and boy, he's not used to that kind of discipline, is he? And I have to say, mm. and again, as John said, that idea of entering into this process of going deaf, I now use um, hearing aids. And although I'm not deaf, it can be very frustrating when you cannot mm. understand what another person is saying, even though you can hear them. So I could re it resonated with me mm. a little bit. And, um, and that he didn't give up. He, he could have, and he didn't give up. He kept going. He kept playing with it. Oh, anyway, yeah. it's a great film, I think. In, in, uh, from my view, when I first read the description of the movie, I wasn't so thrilled about watching it. And then it was much better than I had expected it to be. So that was kind of fun from there. And that brings us to the last of the movie, the last of the Best Picture nominees. And that is the trial of the Chicago Seven. Now I lived in the Chicago area, grew up in the Chicago area. So I was eight or nine when these riots took place in 1968. Um, and I learned things in this movie that I was not aware of uh, at that time. Uh, Sister Rose, what's I really your take liked on this it. One? Of course, I was already in the convent a year when all this happened. And so I remember, you know, we hearing it on the news and we did read, we didn't read the newspapers at, at that time in the convent, but we listened to the radio at, at lunch. And so we got the, that's how we got our news. So we knew what was going on. But to me, that whole idea of people being on trial or idea, ideology being on trial, I thought that was an amazing insight by uh, Aaron Sorkin. But I want to point out that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who has never been on my top actors list, um, but... He deserves Nor the mine. Oscar for playing Abby Hoffman in this movie. If you watch it, you watch his face. If you, if you, you see hmm. this internal um, journey that he's on going through all this, I said, wow, this guy isn't just uh, an exhibitionist. He's a real actor. And I thought, I, I really like this. And I'm a fan of Aaron Sorkin already. So I don't know, maybe I'm already <laughs> prejudiced, but I did. I did appreciate the film very much. So this and uh, this Minari Sound of Metal, good one. John, your take? Well, um, I, I love the you know snappiness of the Aaron Sorkin dialogue. You can't resist that. 
And I thought it was interesting in that I, I was not aware of the division between uh, the strands within the anti-war movement. Uh, so that's a historical point that was made clear in the movie that um, was something new to me. Um, and I, I agree with Sister about um, Abby Hoffman, the character and, and the performance. Um, no, it was uh, very high quality and, and um, uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I like, um, if I'm gonna watch a historical drama, it's, it's um, always uh, a plus if you discover something you didn't know about the period or the characters involved. Okay, well, lightning round. Let's have you both pick your top choice for best picture nominee 2021. Sister. Sound of Metal. John. Uh, Minari. Excellent. All right. Thank you. We've been talking with Daughter of St. Paul, Sister Rose Picotti, and John Mulderig from Catholic News Service about movies and the Oscars. You can find John Mulderig's reviews on our publications websites at catholicherald.com and catholicreview.org. You can read Sister Rose's reviews at sisterrosemovies.com. That's sister spelled out. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Special thanks to my wife and guest co-host, Ann Augerton of the Arlington Catholic Herald. This is Christian Rigunti of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. Perpetual Adoration is coming to Baltimore for the first time ever. On May 31st, the Basilica of the Assumption, America's first Catholic cathedral, will begin 24-7 Eucharistic adoration if the cathedral can get enough adorers to commit to praying day and night. Will you sign up for one hour and keep watch with the Lord? Will you pray for our country and for our church? To learn more, visit americasfirstcathedral.org slash adoration. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S firstcathedral.org slash adoration. Coming next week, was Shakespeare a Catholic? As the Bard's birthday nears, we will talk with two university professors who are Shakespeare experts about Catholic themes in the playwright's works and discuss his faith background. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM and also WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.